Hi everyone, I'm Suresh Lau and this is the Interim Leader Podcast brought to you by Odgers Interim, the UK's leading provider of interim management services. I spoke about diversity in the housing sector in my first podcast almost two years ago and talked about some of the issues we faced and needed to deal with at that time. I followed that up with a second part around this time last year and here I am again with another conversation around the same topic which must mean we haven't really been able to get to grips with the problem. The recent Inside Housing Diversity Survey has given us data on 1,186 board members and 558 executives, which between them work across 101 teams in the UK. That's a relatively small sample, but it's large enough to see that things are not really changing as fast as I hope they might, or as I hope they should. I would need way longer than the 20 minutes or so that I have here today to pick through all of the results of the survey. One of the issues that does stick out to me is that 87% of the respondees came from a white background. I think there is something we can do to help change this picture, which at the moment is a pretty flat and dare I say, black and white portrait. With this in mind, I'd like to welcome my newest colleague, Sue Johnson, Managing Partner and Lead of our Diversity and Inclusion Consultancy to the conversation. Hopefully we can try to find some ways and means to advance the ethnic diversity at the top tier of organisations we support. Sue, welcome to the Interim Leader and also welcome to Rogers. Thanks, Suresh. Great to be here. A very exciting day for me yesterday. I passed my three-month probation, so you've got me for good. It's, it's all official now. You're with us. It is. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and you just, Sue, you just heard me say that this is the third anniversary of a topic that is, is quite a personal journey for me. Uh, when we first met and you first joined us, uh, it, it felt like a big relief because finally I, I felt like I was talking to someone who understood my own journey and, and let alone the clients and the candidates that I support through this transformation as well. Would you mind giving everybody else a, a whistle-stop overview of your background and who you are, please? Sure. So I came into this area not the usual way. In fact, I was kicking and screaming. So my background is uh, retailing, logistics, manufacturing and warehousing uh, through Sainsbury's and Nestle. So I was running global supply chains at Nestle when they came to me with a job description. Would you be head of diversity? And I actually said to the board member, uh, no, I have a real job. I work in supply chain. So that was uh, about uh, 11, 12 years ago. And after six months, my boss said, look, you're never going to know what opportunities this job's going to bring you. And so I did it. And I, I can't tell you, it's the best decision I've ever made in my career. I've, I learned something new every day. And it's such an incredibly important topic to feel part of this change journey. I, I feel very privileged. And so I led the diversity journey for the Nestle Group for five years. I then led diversity consulting for PwC in Switzerland for another four or five years. And now I've joined Odgers Bernson to lead the IND consulting there. So who I am, I'm very ensconced in village life, a wife, a mum, a governor, a baker, tennis player, uh, long distance walker, many things. And uh, that's a bit about me. I'm not sure you're going to have the time to do anything else with all of that going on soon. <laughs> Let's hope, hopefully you have, hopefully you have. And uh, just as a, a quick reminder for, for people that are listening from my perspective, um, I've had the privilege of working with, with teams across the housing space for some 15 odd years. So I'm going to start this conversation by saying I'm bound to protect them and deflect some of the flack that they get. I know that they're not the only teams or the only sector that have issues with 
ethnic, ethnic representation at the top level. So in essence, that, that is my relationship with them to, to help them and rather than pile on more pressure. But this area to me seems like a lost opportunity so far. So I've read recent McKinsey surveys for ethnic diversity, and it's suggesting that the top quartile of the most ethnically diverse executive teams outperform the least diverse by up to 36%, which is a, a massive number. So surely this is now a business imperative for organizations to get right, no? No, you're right. More than ever. When I was at PwC, there's this annual CEO survey, and they asked the question, you know, um, is, is inclusion and diversity a business imperative for you? And interestingly, 10 years ago, 13% said yes. And now it's over 90% as a key priority. So it's definitely on the business agenda because, you know, the business case is so strong. It goes beyond, you know, just the business performance. It talks about, you know, engagement, creativity, advanced problem solving, innovation. You can mirror the market, um, you know, match your community, work with investors. It's really, really important as a business case. And then, yeah, you talk about ethnic diversity. I think in the past very much we've had many discussions around particularly women and the LGBTQ plus community. And thankfully, in the last 20 months, particularly after Black Lives Matter, we're finally seeing ethnic diversity on the forefront because, you know, the UK, one in six people is ethnically diverse. So why isn't this being represented at leadership level? But to me, this is not about blame. It's about action. And so always thinking positively and thinking forward, what can we do? But my favorite bit about inclusion and diversity is this super additivity. You know, if you have two smart people and you put them together, you know, one plus one is two. But if you have two really different smart people with unique skills, experience, knowledge and perspective, then the super additivity means one plus one equals three. And I think that's where all the benefits come from in terms of this great 30%. What's led to that is making people who, can be themselves and come to work. That's what makes the difference. And that's why businesses are more successful when they crack and understand inclusion and diversity is its business imperative. That's uh, such an interesting way of looking at it because I often think that I'm allowed to be myself when I come into the office. Um, Probably not to everybody's style and taste, (laughs) but but I've been allowed to do that. And, And, you know, openly so, which is great because again, any new starter that comes into the business will see that I can barely speak English, let alone, you know, speak it in a plummy accent. So from that perspective, it, it comes back to how then we as an organization can support and help others. And that's hence why you're you're with us now and working with us. So I, I'm conscious that we as as providers of ex- executives and board members to organizations that are, are coming under more scrutiny than ever before for this area. We have to be careful that we're not making and helping these appointments and and delivering something that's not a tokenistic gesture. That might sound slightly controversial, but what we've seen and I've seen in my world is appointments that have been made, which have raised a few eyebrows, my my bushy ones included, um, because the, the ethnic background of the candidate has fit the bill, but not necessarily having all of the skills to do the job. What scares me about that is surely that will make the process harder for others to follow in their footsteps, because inevitably that person is going to fail in that role, that they, they don't have the skills for it or, or currently don't have all of the skills for it. Um, and that's not to suggest that you always do when you go for the new role. I completely understand that as well. But would it potentially push boards into hiring back in their own image 
And as we said at the start of this conversation, 87% of those are white. So we're going to end up forcing ourselves back into a position of, I'll play safe here. I'll, I'll go with what I know. I don't know. Is that something that you, you've seen or is it something that you felt? So, Suresh, you're absolutely right. As human beings, we have affinity bias. We can't help it. Unconscious bias is part of who we are. We need it to keep us safe. It's part of our fight or flight um, index. It's part of how we make decisions. And so we need it as human beings. However, we have to recognize that it can, it can affect how we make decisions towards certain groups of people. And so this is why it's so important we look at educating people and awareness of unconscious bias, but also unpicking our systems. You know, when we make decisions, are we biasing one group over another? But in terms of pushing back on their own image, you know, I've seen it happen with appointing women on boards. For example, in Norway, uh, they were the first country to put in place quotas around appointing women into boards. And they, women, these women became known as golden skirts. I don't know about you, but nobody wants to be appointed because of their gender, their ethnicity or sexual orientation. It should be on merit. But to do that, we know we've got to have a balanced talent pipeline and a real commitment about why ideas is important and mitigate unconscious bias at every point. It's interesting you talk about they may not have all the skills to do the job, but I'm asking, well, who said that? Who's made that decision? Because quite often appointments are made where we don't have all the knowledge about the background that they've done or what the role will look like in the future. You know, we've got to think about transferable skills. We've got to think differently to make sure that we are rebalancing the top because if we keep doing the same things again and again, it's going to stick at this number. And so maybe people are thinking, well, the job's going to grow, be different. And so they have got the skill set or the agility to grow into it. And that's why I think it's so important that we talk about this topic and what we are doing to balance the leadership and then we might be making some appointments that you might not agree with, but we're going to make sure that they do have the skills, but perhaps not traditionally in the areas that we've looked at. For example, within social housing, where can other skills come from? So I talked about this internal pipeline. Yes, it's a long game, but it's so crucial. I mean, Suresh, you and I have talked about it's very balanced, the front line, the people who are working on the, you know, on the shop floor, as, as it were. And so, you know, why are they not being pulled up to leadership level? And many reasons for that. And so let's think about some actions that we can do. You know, if you have this talent pool, how do we get people from the front line into the kind of corporate office world or management world, if I can use that expression? And we've seen that in, for example, in retailing, in manufacturing, it's this really difficult divide. But one thing we can do is say, let's have a hiring phrase. So you can't bring anyone externally into management or corporate or an office role. All talent has to come from the front line. So I was working with a telecoms organization and they obviously have huge call centers and they were looking for people to join in their IT function. And when this hiring freeze came in in COVID, they were like, oh, but we need people with computer science degrees. And you're like, well, if you look, you'll find people. So surprise, surprise, the call center had huge amounts of people with computer science degrees. You know, we think of people as they are today now. Let's go into their background. Let's understand their motivations a bit more about them and where we can stretch their skill set, where people want to grow and learn. So think about, you know, pulling people up and giving people no option because then people will act. You know, look at the internal job descriptions. Quite often we have lists of these key experience and criteria you must have done. No, take that away. Just look at this is what we're looking for in terms of attitude and skills. Make it open to everybody and it's internal and see where this flourishes. Think about when people join the new area, for, 
it's a big shift to move from the front line to into an office corporate role. You know, what are the rules of the game? Think about a buddy system. So making sure that somebody can ask all those really stupid questions, but are really important to make sure they're included and understand the politics of what gets done. Think about, well, someone has three to six months to get up to speed. So fill these jobs faster to give people time to grow so they're not being set up to fail. Think about having reverse mentoring. So frontline talent meeting senior management to hear what's happening on, on, you know, on the floor, but also get exposure. So to me, it's about action. And, and finally, treat it like a business topic. We're used to talking about numbers all the time. And so put it on every meeting agenda, have KPIs with clear lines of accountability. So I always have one killer chart. That's about what I can absorb. On the x-axis, let's look at um, the grades in the organization from junior on the left-hand side through to the most senior on the right-hand side. And on the y-axis, let's look at the representation. And to me, it could be of women, uh, of people of color. And I'm like, where is your cliff? because there will always be a cliff at some point. And that's the area you want to start looking at. Okay, let's unpick the processes and practices and make sure that this cliff is moving to the right and then we eliminate it. And, and what a fantastic answer. I, I love asking loaded questions. Um, as most of the people that, that know me and work with me um, recognize I can be a controversial character at times. My bum's too big to sit on the fence. I, I fall one side or the other. Um, which gets me into trouble sometimes, but it's it's having that passion about this area because it is a personal journey for me as, as much as it is for any candidate and client I get to speak to. And, and one of the things you mentioned there is about some of the things that a client can do and Im implant in their business and their psyche to do something different, to change what's happening now to give them a different outcome. And we're seeing, and we have already in the housing world, a number of programs designed to accelerate the path of individuals from, let's say, marginalized backgrounds into more senior positions. But what would you say in your experience is, is the crucial thing or, or a couple of crucial things that an organization has to do to make sure that they get executive sponsors on board with this? Because to me, it's always felt like that that is the critical thing for any organization to take this issue seriously your chief exec, your chair, your, your C-suite has to be the sponsors of this, because if they're not on board, this is just a box-ticking exercise. Mm. No, you're completely right. This is a cultural change. This is not something you can kind of do on the side of your desk. It's a commitment and it's a cultural change. And it's got to start at the top because inclusion is a conscious choice. Because if you keep going as you are, nothing is going to change. And so like every business challenge you need, you need a business strategy you need where we're going to go how we're going to get there who is accountable and what does success look like and so to me going to the why of why this is so important to social housing you, know, you look at who are who are the users of social housing across the uk and then look at well what does our workforce look like are we really understanding and representing our customer base then suddenly the business case becomes quite clear and it's not again about blame it's about well, what are we going to do to readdress this balance going forward? Some things we can do quicker and some things we can do slower, but we need to act. And so to me, it's this combined approach of facts tell, but stories sell. And so that's why I'm saying we're asking the leadership to kind of know the numbers, but also talk about their personal experiences, their personal stories. And, you know, what is their lived experience and ask them to talk to their workforce. Because um, I really hope that you know, explicit 
racism and discrimination is not in the workplace. However, I know for a fact that implicit microaggressions and discriminations are going across all the organizations that I work across in all the sectors. And so, you know, hear people's stories. What is their experience? Because at the end of the day, everyone remembers how you're made to feel. And when you are excluded, you know, on purpose or not on purpose, it has a massive impact on our psyche and wanting to go to work and perform at our best. You know, I remember as kids, you'd have, I, I also come from the West Midlands, Suresh, not Wolverhampton like you, Shrewsbury, <laughs> but these kids would come in with tickets for Alton Towers. You know, and then if you think of a car, you'd have two parents, maybe a couple of siblings, and there'd be one seat for a friend. And you'd just be like, oh, please be me. And this friend would walk past with their 13th birthday party to someone else. And it's that feeling that we never forget. And so making somebody feel valued, wanted, is just so important. And that's why I think the executives need, yes, they need to get the business case, but they need to get the human factor what is the lived experience of people in the organization? How can I understand that? And then it's like, okay, is this acceptable? No, then what are we going to do about it? And I'm a big believer in three things. And so tell people, you know, I, this is what I commit to do. We, this is what we as an organization is going to do. And you, this is what I need you to do. The tone starts at the top. It's fantastic if you have really active employee resource groups. It's so important that you empower the workforce, but it has to start at the top. It's such an interesting concept, Sue, of that turnaround of listen to your diverse workforce and hear what they're going through uh, and therefore recognise what you then might need to do to change um, and adapt. And, you know, you, you, you use this often, this phrase of it's not about blame, it's about let's change things. We are where we are. It, whatever's happened previous and in some cases that may have been to do with a completely different regime before an organization was was is where it is now um so let's move forward from a different setting and i, I have unfortunately had the mispleasure of having some overt racism handed to me in the past in a previous organization where a <laughs> my manager I, I mean i'm laughing about it but it's pretty harsh said to me openly uh, in an appraisal um that we could be diverse, but we would never be equal. So sorry, you're gonna to have to clarify that for me. Yeah. Well, well, we're quite different, but you'll never be my boss. As much as we promote you, I'll always be your boss. And that was, that's the first time I've had it. I was quite young at the time. First time I've really felt the world fall out from underneath my feet. I had no idea how to come back from that. I had no mm. idea what to say. Is this guy joking? He must be. Yeah, that, that mm -hmm. must just be a throwaway little thing. But the way he looked at me, and 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 again, unfortunately, see, I know the difference between somebody who's being racist and someone who's trying to have a laugh and mm -hmm. calling it, let's say, with inverted commas banter. There is a difference. And that brings me to one final area then, Sue. So again, I'm going to spin that round onto somebody like myself. There's there's clients that I'm talking to, and there's there's people that I'm talking to who almost seem embarrassed by their current ethnicity staffing data. So rather than own it, they're, they're trying to hide it or, or even worse, they're trying to fudge the numbers they're putting out. And I know they are. They, they, they're talking about ethnicity across their entire organization and the data numbers look great, but actually then forget that they have zero representation across their senior team or their board. So to me, that actually feels like you're holding everybody back from progressing, progressing with the issue internally in your business because you're refusing to grab hold of the nettles and go, 
there's an issue, guys. We need to deal with it. Let's let's admit there is an issue. It's that first step of putting your hand up and saying, I've got a problem. I'm sorry. So now put me on the spot. What what can I do to make what is a very delicate and emotive conversation? And this is a very difficult conversation with some people. But I need to make it one that everyone feels safe and open to talk about. So because if they can't talk to me about it and open, be open with me about why they're struggling, where they're struggling, how can they possibly improve the processes for themselves moving forward? No, thanks, Suresh. That's it's a tough one, but I'm just sitting here feeling really cross about your experience. Well, yeah, <laughs> not ideal. It's not ideal. I talk about action. If I can just go back, you know, having these policies in place, but it's zero tolerance. It doesn't matter if it's a superstar. These people are sacked. Mm. And I think this is where also executives have to step up. And when this has come to the floor, it's not even, I don't care if they're the best salesperson on the planet. There's no room for people like that. There is no room for conversations or attitudes like that in our, our organization. And that's where it's so the role of executives, they have to absolutely walk the talk and action speaks a lot louder than words. Because usually it's, it's, oh, that's, oh, it's acceptable. So-and-so they're retiring soon. No, it's not. End of discussion. So ugh, that makes me cross. So going back to the question you asked me, sorry. Um, it's a tough one, but I, the fact that you're having these conversations, you know, it's so it, it's so important because it starts, you're right, with a conversation. And it's a really tough topic that, you know, I've talked about gender for many years and somehow sexism is an easier word to say than racism. And the reason people, I think, shy away from these discussions is it's the language. It sounds it's such an excuse, but I was talking to someone last week who talked about um, the global majority. And I said, I'm really sorry, I haven't heard of that phrase. And it's, it's a big thing in the education sector. It's how you talk about um, people of colour as the UK were moving away from using, you know, BAME as an expression. Because it just it's so awfully because grouped everyone together where everyone has these unique identities and experience. So I think so much of it is about having conversations and helping people have these conversations. But going back to what can you do? To me, this topic is push or pull. You know, I know an enthusiastic advocate when I, when I see one. And in a way, these are not the people that I want to be talking to because it's, it's inherent to them. They haven't been on inclusive leadership training, but the environment, the experiences, their natural curiosity has made them understand the importance of inclusion. And that's just how they are. And so let's talk about the push conversations because th these are harder to have, but the ones that are really important to have. And... You know, again, I think it's the facts tell stories still. It's starting off with the facts, talking about the business case, where your social housing uh, organization, you know, who are the communities that you're supporting? Where are the growth areas? What are the specific challenges? And so really making it about, you know, the business and that community. And then it's like, okay, well, how, how are we going to help solve problems of this? Let's look at the, our workforce, you know, where are, where, what's the representation like at different levels? And where are the gaps? And okay, is that... Uh, what we want as the organization going forward. So how are we gonna work on these gaps? And like I say, there's the long game, there's the medium game, and there's the short-term game. And if I had a magic button or a silver bullet, I would have written the book and made billions. I haven't. It's a combination of a number of factors that are gonna get there. And that's why I'm saying it's so important to have a plan. Where are you gonna go? How are you gonna get there? And who's accountable and how are you gonna attract success? And so in terms of this, uh, these conversations, I would start with, that very much you know the business case but more importantly who is the who's the community that you serve let's look internally 
But I'm not saying, for example, my understanding is the biggest users of social um, housing is in the black community. And so it's not about getting the black community within your organization to fix the problems. It's like, how can we have a variety of people, this diversity to get these unique skills, experience, knowledge and perspectives to solve these problems? And we need them at every level. And if they're not at every level, OK, what actions have we got in place? And so to me, it's about putting the two together. What's the need for um, action and progress? And also look what other people are doing. I think a little bit of healthy competition is important. You know, what are other organizations doing? What are other industries doing? I find executives are usually quite competitive. And so, you know, you're at this percentage. Well, your competitors are here. And here are some of the activities that they're doing. You know, would it work within your environment? So I always big believer in steal with pride. Never feel, oh, I can't, I can't copy. And, and in terms of you then, well, what can you do? Well, give people three options because that's also, it's non-threatening. So, you know, perhaps we could do this, perhaps we could do that, or perhaps we could do that. And recognizing people need to go back and, and reflect on that and perhaps talk to other people. Because you know, this new approach could be like, well, we've never thought about this. I think, Suresh, that's what you can do. So in summary, you know, talk about who are the consumers, who are the users of your services? What is the, your, you know, the demographics in your organization to help solve these complex problems? And finally, in terms of solutions, you know, giving these three bit some you know always have one out of the box but then give time and support to make that decision and just finally you know just continue to be a, an, an authentic and active ambassador for this topic because it's people like you that are going to make the difference i appreciate that sue um it's i always think there's a fine line to tread here in that i am not and don't want to be a kind of militant bat in my hand, smashing everybody. You've got to change. You've got to do X, Y, and Z. This, I think, is more and feels like it's more of a let's sit down over a cup of tea, because I love one of those, um, and have a conversation about it and support and listen and understand where people's perspectives have come from. Because if I can't do that, we're never going to change it. So this has been a, an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I'm really looking forward to having more of these conversations when I, when I catch you in the office. Uh, and actually, hopefully, you'll, you'll be out there helping me to support the candidates and the clients that I'm talking to in my sector through this, what I think is a, an exciting period of change. I think a lot is going to happen and, and will happen moving forward. Um, but I'm going to need experts like yourself to come and give us a bit of a kick and a bit of a prod in the right direction. Um, and again, the, the biggest takeaway for me from this entire conversation is, is it's not about blame, it's about putting some actions in place and, and then following those three. So thank you, really appreciate it. Suresh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. And you know, to all your listeners, uh, you know, please feel you can reach out. I hope you can see that it's a topic that I'm really passionate about along with you. And if I have any knowledge that could help uh, progress this within organizations of social housing, it'll be a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for this episode of The Interim Leader. Uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do like, subscribe and follow us for more insights from our network of consultants and interim leaders.